And I think as we move our way through the day, we'll discover what is and is not happening today. But it seems, in spite of the fact that today is a bank holiday for Truth and Reconciliation Day, which happened on a Saturday, seems most people are working a fairly regular day, including Scott Reed, who's here on the Morning Brief, CTV political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin. Good to have you. Good morning. Good morning, John. I saw you celebrating a son's day with your sons on Saturday. <laughs> yes, yes, I have many. In fact, I'll be uh, I'll be out today. My my oldest son turned twenty five on Friday, also. So tonight we're celebrating uh, his birthday with dinner. Um, I know, John. Stop, stop. Don't go on any further. How could I possibly have a twenty five year old son? I know, I know, I know. Oh, it's very I'm sorry. Was I supposed to, to drop in yes. with that? No, no. I mean, yes, you're, you're, no, no, you no, are no. younger than me, but if I had kids, they'd probably all be about uh, 25, 26, 27. Yeah, it's gruesome, you know. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I love being a dad. I almost okay. got to strike oil, man, because someone's got to carry the old man. Okay, so listen, let's get into the day's big stories. First of all, the minimum wage has gone up. I suppose we're going to have a day of people debating the minimum wage. Um, but as I was observing earlier in this half hour, I always find it interesting that the same people who insist that the government's got to do something about the cost of living always seem to oppose the idea of a minimum wage. Yeah, I think this debate's over. Um, you know, Doug Ford opposed the minimum wage. Then when he got elected premier, he actually instituted a minimum wage increase. Uh, all the boogeymen who predicted uh, that, you know, it would uh, bring a ruination upon the economy have been proven can be be completely incorrect. The debate today is whether, you know, the rise is sufficient given uh, given the increase in cost of living. So, um, you know, I, I, I look at it and I, I, I think it's, you know, it's it's stunning to see the last five, six years, the change that's happened. You know, we're in a world now where, um, you know, unions are strengthening their hold. We're starting to see labor strikes again. You're seeing massive increases in terms of wage settlements. You're seeing minimum wage debate uh, slide by the door. Um, and, you know, I, I, I actually think that's a good thing. I think there's a little bit of rebalancing in there in favor of the worker, because for 30 years, you know, the C-suite had it uh, all to themselves. They tied their compensation, pegged to stock market performance, and they all got rich while they lectured the rest of us on why the minimum wage shouldn't be increased. So uh, I, I think we're getting to something a little bit more uh, more appropriate, a little bit more normalized. Well, and I think it's also worth mentioning, somebody via text was saying, well, the whole idea of the minimum wage is it's a starter job, and then you'll get some experience and move on. I'm sorry, I have met many a person in their 50s raising children who's working in a minimum wage job. Yeah, and, you know, we're very much so. And the way we look at the job force and wages, you know, with the gig economy, everything's changed so much. I mean, it's so now you're in a world where um, people, as you say, are sort of chronically underemployed. It used to be that you'd look at the economy and say, is it doing well? I know how to measure that. Are we making lots of jobs? But now we're in a world where we're making lots of jobs, but the economy still doesn't feel strong. And it's because so many of those jobs were non-unionized. It's because the pay is sort of chronically uh, cut to nothing. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I just feel post-pandemic, we're starting to see some dramatic change there. And I do think that's for the better because things got out of whack. And I was part of the problem, that whole sort of neoliberal, you know, post-90s kind of consensus economically is really getting the uh, stuffing knocked out of it now. So um, we don't have to dwell on this forever because it's a bit inside politics, but interesting 
interesting feature in the star where Dalton McGuinty actually has broken his silence and offered advice on how the Liberals could defeat Doug Ford. I guess the wider question, given your experience in politics, is how well postured or posed are the Liberals to perhaps take back power in the next cycle? Yeah, you know, Dalton McGuinty won in 2003. Basically, and, you know, there's lots of, you know, back padding with him and his uh, team. But, I mean, really, it was time for a change. They got they, they were in the right spot for a, a change election. 99, they lost. And that was an interesting one. And I think this coming election is going to be like 1999 without getting into a deep historical lesson. But the, the reason is that I think Doug Ford could be vulnerable. I think that the Liberals could make a run. Um but in 99, McGinty lost that election, even though it was competitive. He didn't get the ball over the line. I think it's going to be up to the Liberals. Like, I don't think this coming election, people will be absolutely sick of Ford. I don't think it will be clearly a change election. And therefore, if the Liberals are going to win it, they're going to have to play some cards. And I, I do think it's winnable. I do think it's achievable. It starts with leadership. It starts with um, making certain that they're coherent. And, and I'll just underscore one thing about politics has changed since I got involved. You know how hard it is to be an opposition politician these days? Do you know how hard it is for it to punch through, have anybody know anything about you. No one watches the news at night anymore. No one listens to the same sets of voices. So it's really, really, really hard if you're not known already to punch through and capture people's imaginations and draw their votes. That's that's a real change in politics from the last 40, 50, 60 years. I'm very curious about your thoughts on the announcement that the federal government wants to um, reduce defense spending by a billion dollars and I had one of those encounters on Friday where, you know, sometimes stuff just comes out. I ran into, I was getting off a plane and I ran into Bill Blair and Bill Blair comes over and says hi because we remember each other from when he was the police chief. And then I said, oh, I was listening to a clip of you this morning. I don't know. And he said, it was probably about the billion dollar cut. And I said, bad timing. And then I thought, why did I just say that? But I, I, I think it is. I, you know, especially a week after we get into all this trouble over Ukraine and then we announce a billion-dollar cut from defense. To me, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I, I don't think it makes sense for another reason. And you know, I'll, from my perspective, like here's the hard truth. Okay, whether people like it or not, and people can get up on their hind horse and all that sort of stuff. But I'm telling you right now that if you put a list of 20 things that the government can spend money on, um, defense is still going to be very much toward the end. It really will. Um, it always had, gets, you know, uh, pushed way down, you know, in comparison to things like health, education, so on and so forth, funding cities, housing. It's going to lose every one of those one-on-one uh, -on -one matchups. It's only an abstract that people go, well, we ought to spend more. We ought to do our part. Um, you know, I, I think the real question is, why is the cons why is this liberal government, why, is the, why are the Trudeau liberals suddenly trying to persuade us that they're fiscal conservatives? Um, why are they suddenly saying we're going to cut a billion from defense and we're going to cut $15 billion overall? I mean, I worked for Paul Martin. I, I am for a balanced program. But, you know, I, I made this joke on TV this weekend. People don't listen to the Beatles to hear country music. And I don't think that Justin Trudeau is going to convince anybody uh, that he's the right choice in the next election because he's going to be more fiscally responsible than Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. So I don't really get what they're doing, what they're trying to achieve. Um, you know, 
should a billion dollars be cut for the defense budget? I mean, really, it's a reduction in spending, so it's just not going to increase as much. They say there's fat there. They can uh, trim it. I don't know. I'll be ha- curious to hear what Jerry Agar here says, because Jerry's always saying, well, you know, spend less, spend less, spend less. We'll see if, uh, you know, he just meant we'll spend less on the things I dislike. Okay, and I always forget which sports you are fully vested in, uh, but the Blue Jays are going to the playoffs as of tomorrow. Are you going to be watching? Oh yeah. yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! I'm running. Uh, I'm running the. And I kind of like that we ended up with Minnesota. We'll see, but I think maybe our pitching can be more dominant. The Tampa Bay sort of scares me. Their their pitching can surprise us uh, from time to time. So, um, you know, knock on wood. I went to the first game last year, or was it the second game? Whichever, the one that we lost without scoring a single run. Yeah. I just sat there drinking beer and you know eating uh, cotton candy and thinking to myself, my God, this is a long afternoon. So uh, I'm hoping. For for better this uh, this fall. Thanks a lot, sir. Good to have you this Monday morning. See you later. That's the morning brief with Scott Reed.